Hello, I'm Tina Sederholm. Welcome to This Is Not Therapy, a podcast for people who like to find the marvellous in the mundane. Hey there, how you doing? I've just got back from a few days at Saunton Sands in Devon. I love being by the sea and uh, I'm sure I'm not the first person in history to have noticed the healing hypnotic power of waves. But my goodness, going back there, I haven't been down to the ocean for about six months and uh, I love it. I uh, It brings me back to myself. What can I say? And uh, the other wonderful thing about being on holiday is that the most difficult choice I had to make each day was what flavour of ice cream to try next, which is a neat segue into today's story, which is all about living with the consequences of life-defining choices. I have reached a certain age now, so I have plenty of material to draw on when it comes to thinking oh, what if I'd stayed in Australia? What if I had kept working for that crazy person in, yeah, not going to tell you, where? (laughs) What if the sound man on the film I was making hadn't dropped out? And instead of cancelling the shoot, we'd taken on a random replacement that I later, who I later married. So this is all about exploring those sort of other lives that we might have had. It's called Ghost Ships. I grew up fantasising about being the world's best three-day eventer. My heroes were riders like Lucinda Pryor Palmer and Ginny Holgate, Women filled with daring do as they galloped towards enormous hedges, banks and ditches on their horses, be fair and priceless. More than fantasising, I marinated in this world because my parents ran an internationally renowned equestrian centre. My earliest memories are of being swung up onto a saddle in front of my mother or watching my father train one of the many riders who came to our home from all over the world to prepare for World and European Championships and Olympic Games. Even as a small child, I got to help out behind the scenes at the major competitions, carrying buckets of bandages and feed, holding the linen cloth that would give the final polish to the riders' boots before they entered the arena. I also competed a lot myself. As an adult, I was successful at advanced level in Great Britain and placed in some international competitions too. But by my early thirties, I stopped riding competitively, bruised and battered by falls, busted bones and torn ligaments, the gut punches that come from losing beloved horses, the self-inflicted mental wounds that came from failing to meet my own high expectations. Worst of all, I had lost touch with the essence of why I loved horses and rode in the first place. Even though I knew it was the right decision for me to give up competitive riding, a persistent doubt growled around my brain. What if I'd kept going for just a little bit longer? After a while, whether it was the right or wrong decision didn't matter. It was done and I'd come to an uneasy peace about it. 
After all, I loved my new life. Writing books, performing poetry, now married. About five years ago, my husband and I revisited my childhood home, or rather the stable yard. The original building, dating from the late 1700s, was still intact and looked as I remembered. But inside, instead of stables for horses, it was now flats for human beings. I experienced a kind of vertigo, as if I were slipping between two worlds, one where my past had been eradicated and another where my former life was continuing just as I had known it. Ghosts. These are the stables where my ponies used to live. Now a kitchen, no ring ties or mangers, though the rug racks high on the back wall make an interesting feature. I showed my husband where we stacked the hay, the outline of a stable door in the dining room wall. It used to stick, I tell him. You had to hitch it with your hip as you slid the bolt. He nods like an obedient tourist, then leaves to find beer. I am rooted in footprints owned by a previous self he will never know, a girl who hung rosettes on that wall, hosed her ponies down on this bit of concrete, shampooed their tails while dressed in a bikini. My friend has made this her home. She dances round the kitchen in a silver sequin dress. Her still slim legs end in pixie boots. But our jawlines are cushiony. Both will take a day or two to recover from that third bottle. My feet dance with her, but my heart leans back, remembers the promise I apprenticed myself to, mucking out these stables every day at dawn, that anything was possible. I didn't know that anything would be this. Visiting that old stable yard reminded me of a poem by Thomas Transdormer. I remembered a line where he talked about our unlived sister lives. I knew there was some mention of ships or vessels and I kept imagining these ships sailing away from me. I became convinced that the poem was called Ghost Ships but when I googled it, I discovered it was called The Blue House. In fact, there was little in it about ships, certainly not the image I had in my mind. Instead, it was about him looking back on his childhood home from the outside before, as he called them, all the irrevocable choices were made. There was a reference to sister vessels later on in the poem, but on this reading it was the phrase irrevocable choices that stayed with me. He seemed to be saying that every choice was accompanied by a sense of loss, because by saying yes to one choice, we were saying no to another. I thought back to when I was deciding whether to have children. Saying yes to children meant giving up personal freedoms. Saying no meant keeping those freedoms, but giving up the chance to experience the unique love a parent can feel for a child. Sometimes, as in my case, the choice is made for you, by outside factors. 
But I remember how I had agonised for years about whether to have children because of that sense of loss that accompanied either option. I would bounce between scenarios, never settling on a final one. In the blue house, Thomas says, yes. You will feel loss, even with the right decision. Up to that point, I'd had written inside me that if I felt loss, I must be making the wrong decision. But now I thought, if loss is inevitable, somehow that made making a choice easier. Rather than being right or wrong, it becomes about deciding which loss I could live with. If the gains made it worthwhile. Thomas and I disagreed on one aspect, though. At the end of the Blue House, he writes, Our life has a sister vessel which plies an entirely different route. There's such grief in that line. I think that's what I was feeling when I wrote Ghosts. But recently, I had a dream with an image that gave me a different perspective. An image so dear to me that I carried it around for several days like a sleepy puppy in a sling across my chest. It was an image of me standing on the prow of a ship, sailing across a sea. But when I looked over, countless ships were travelling with me, not plying an entirely different route. Perhaps, I thought, if you believe in the quantum physics idea of us existing in a multiverse, our other supposed unlived lives could be right here with us. And we are free to visit them any time as they live on in our powerful imaginations. Sister ships. Dusk. The prow of the ship I stand in slices dark blue earth into a feather collar. I look starboard. A fleet of ghosted outlines, little more than cobwebs brilliant with caught moisture, speed alongside. One has sketches of children playing on the deck. Their faces are laughter shaped. On another, A horse leaps from the prow, flings its forelegs up and over every approaching wave. Further down the line are the ghosts of these ghosts. Somewhere between a bride's veil and an autumn fog, but lithe with electricity, momentarily made visible. I used to believe there was only one ship. The others sunk, sailed on without me or marooned in harbour. But now I raise my hand, wave at all their silvery essences. Their occupants turn and wave back. A fleet not abandoned, but sailing with me towards the same port.
So there's some food for thought about the lives you didn't or haven't lived. And maybe there's a chance that you still can. Perhaps not in the form you envisaged, but still true to the essence of the desire. I never did have children. But I love being an eccentric aunt to my nephew and niece. And I like to think I provide this special role where they can come and ask me things that perhaps they don't feel they can go to their parents with. If that is still too big for you to contemplate, here's an idea that I pinched from The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Julia likes you to make lots of lists of, well, many things, but one of them is other lives you you might have had, fantasy lives. And say you wrote something like, oh, I want to live in Italy. She says, well, maybe you can't move to Italy today, probably can't, or, you know, can't ever envisage yourself being able to. But you can bring a bit of Italy into your life. You can make yourself a homemade cappuccino, for instance. And I'd say you can even add a few more layers in if you want. Find a book of Renaissance paintings and peruse those as you sip your preferred Italian beverage. Perhaps in a later episode, I'll tell you the story of my journey of falling in love with horses again. Okay, I'm off to add that to the future episodes list. Let me know how you've enjoyed a soupçon of your other lives in your current one. And let's meet again here soon. Hi, Tina again. Thanks for listening to This Is Not Therapy. All the books and resources mentioned in the podcast are listed in the show notes, where you can also sign up to my monthly newsletter. If you want to book me for a talk or show, or even buy a book, please go to www.tinasetterhome.com. And finally, don't forget to subscribe!